Hi, my friends. I'm so glad that we could get together today. I need, I personally need, to take a prolonged look at prayer. Maybe I need a refresher course, or maybe I just need to take it up a notch, but I need to probe the subject of prayer. And so I want to take you along with me, and I want you to um, think about this with me. You know, sometimes in prayer meetings or church meetings, we have prayer requests. And on social media, we see people asking for prayer. And then sometimes we see people with the exclamation, prayer works. And so what is that all about? And what part of that does scripture support? What, what do we need to do? So I want to spend some time probing this topic. There's a difference between saying prayers and having a praying life. And scripture covers both of them. And we want to be able to pray powerful prayers. We don't want to just continue to um, be in a steady stream of just um, simple prayers, maybe things that come through our mind. Um, and when we do the prayer request, it's who's sick and who's going to have surgery, you know, and all of those things are important. And we need to hold those things before the Lord and, and those things are good. But that's not all there is to prayer. And so we want to probe this topic. There's, a, there's just a difference between having a prayer time or a prayer list and having a praying life. What are powerful prayers? How do we get to the place where our prayers are powerful before the Lord? Some people feel that they don't know how to pray. Some people feel that they don't know what to say to God. Um, they're afraid that they won't use the right words, that they might say the wrong thing. But there's something in us as God's creation. I think it's just because we were created in the image of God, that at some point in time, there's something in us that just wants to call on the name of the Lord. How do we do that? Um, what does it take to not only have a meaningful conversation with God, but to also have abiding communion with him, to know him, for me to know his mind, his heart, and for him to know mine, which he already does, but for me to submit that to him. So let's spend a few sessions in a series that we're going to call Discovering the Dynamics of Prayer. Discovering the Dynamics of Prayer. And today, we're going to look at some prayers in Scripture. The word dynamics has to do with motion and energy and activity and change. So let's spend some time looking at the energy and activity and power of prayer. It also has to do with variation in the intensity of prayer. Uh, sometimes our prayers are very intense. Sometimes they may be more casual, like a just a pleasant, casual conversation with God. But Either way, prayer brings about change. And we want to know um, what we need to do as God's people that we can be praying powerful prayers in these days that are going to bring about changes that are pleasing to God. So we're living in a day when we just need powerful prayers from God's people. Scripture shows us that prayer is work. 
It's work. It's focused. It can be intense. It can be energy consuming. But scripture tells us that prayer is work. In Colossians chapter 4 and verse 12, Paul described Epaphras as laboring fervently in prayer. Do we know what it is to labor fervently in prayer? As early as Genesis chapter 4, the last verse in Genesis chapter 4 says that men began to call on the name of the Lord. Took them three chapters, lots of history there. But just all of a sudden he said, at this point in time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. They were crying out to him. They were reaching for him. Jesus said that men, and that means mankind, that means men and women too, ought always to pray. We're to pray without ceasing. How do you do that? Um, the disciples saw the prayer life of Jesus. I think this is fascinating. We're going to look at this one day, but but they walked with him. They saw him heal people. They saw him raise the dead. They saw him feed the sick. They saw him cast out demons. They saw him do all of this incredible stuff. And it's interesting to me that they didn't say to the Lord, will you teach me how to do that? Will you teach me how to heal people? Will you teach me how to cast out demons? Will you teach me how to heal the sick? You know what they said? Teach me to pray like that. Teach me to pray like you pray. Because they had seen the prayer life of Jesus. They knew the power. And you know, let's get it. If the Lord needed to pray like that, why do we think we don't? One of our greatest sins is prayerlessness. And so we're going to see all of that, hopefully, in this study. So what is prayer? How do we pray? Where do we pray? What are the hindrances to prayer? One of the first ways we begin to learn to pray is to study the prayers that are recorded for us in Scripture. There we can see mighty people of God who made the choice to know God and we can see how they prayed. We can see what God did in response to their prayers. And so we can learn some principles of prayer by looking at prayers of, in Scripture, and we can see how God responds. There are many prayers in Scripture. We could never look at all of them. So I've just picked a few that I love that I needed to go back and look at it, look at again. And so let's remember this. All of Scripture is God-breathed. Remember, this is the inspired, infallible, and errant Word of God. This is God-breathed. So if God put this here, these are God-breathed prayers. These are prayers that God wanted us to know about, that He's giving to us as an example. Uh, God recorded these prayers for our instruction. So we need to take these, look at them, study them, and I will have to go just skim off the top today. We could spend two weeks on each one of these or longer. But you do that at home. And today, let's just, let's just take a glimpse at some of these prayers. Let's go first to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. This is a prayer of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was king of Judah. And in this chapter, uh, Judah was faced with hostile enemies. They were overwhelmed, overcome. They didn't know what to do. And so this great multitude of enemies was headed toward Judah with Jehoshaphat as their king. 
So turn with me, if you will, to um, chapter 20. I'm going to begin reading in verse 3. And Jehoshaphat was afraid, and he turned his attention to seek the Lord. So what did he do when he was afraid? He turned his attention to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to seek help from the Lord. All of them, they ganged up, they gathered together as a nation to seek help from the Lord. They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And he said, O Lord, the God of our fathers, art thou not God in heavens? And art thou not ruler over all the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in thy hand, so that no one can stand against thee. Didst thou not, O our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel and give it to the descendants of Abraham, thy friend, forever? And they lived in it. They've built thee a sanctuary there um, for thy name, saying, Should evil come upon us, the sword or judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before this house and before thee, for thy name is in this house, and cry to thee in our distress, and thou wilt hear and deliver us. And now behold, in other words, God, look at this. The sons of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, that's Edom, whom thou didst not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt. They turned aside from them and didn't destroy them. And now how they're rewarding us by coming to drive us out from the possession which thou hast given to us as an inheritance. In other words, we didn't bother them. We didn't destroy them, leave them alone. And now here they are coming after us. Verse 12, O our God, Wilt thou not judge them? For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on thee. And all Judah was standing before the Lord with their infants and their wives and their children. They bought everybody. And then in the midst of the assembly, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mattaniah, the Levite, the sons of Asaph. And he said, listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, here's what the Lord says to you. Do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude, for this battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the valley in front of the wilderness of Jeruel. You need not fight this battle. Station yourselves. Stand and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out and face them, for the Lord is with you. Now the Lord spoke to his prophet, and his prophet is relating the word of the Lord to Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah. 
verse 18, and Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites from the sons of the Kohathites and the sons of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a very loud voice. And they rose early in the morning and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, put your trust in the Lord your God and you will be established. Put your trust in his prophets and succeed. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those, I love this because I used to lead a choir. He appointed those who sang to the Lord and who praised them in holy attire as they went out before the army and said, give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness is everlasting. And when they began singing and praising, the Lord set ambushes against the sons of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah. So they were routed. For the sons of Ammon and Moab rose up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, destroying them completely. And when they had finished with the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. In other words, they just started killing each other. When Judah came to the lookout of the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude and behold, they were corpses lying on the ground and no one had escaped. And when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found much among them, including goods and garments and valuable things, which they took for themselves more than they could carry. And they were three days taking the spoil because there was so much. Then on the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Baraka, for there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, they have named that place the Valley of Baraka until today. And every man of Judah and Jerusalem returned with Jehoshaphat at their head, returning to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them to rejoice over their enemies. And they came to Jerusalem with harps and lyres and trumpets to the house of the Lord. And the dread, get this, and the dread of God was on all the kingdoms of the lands when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. So the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for his God gave him rest on all sides. What a lesson. What a lesson. The people gathered to seek God together. Jehoshaphat, the king, led the assembly in prayer. He began the prayer by recognizing the power of God. Recognizing the power of God over heaven and all the kingdoms of the earth. He recognized God's great works in the past on behalf of his people, and he remembered the previous answers to prayer, things that God had done for them before, other prayers that, that he had answered. So Jehoshaphat prayed with knowledge 
and understanding of God's word. And he openly confessed. He openly confessed that he didn't have the answer. He humbled himself before the Lord and before the people, and he said, I don't know what to do. I don't know what the answer is here. And their only answer was to trust in God. But you know what? That's the only answer they needed. That's all they needed to do. The last phrase of verse 12, I love it. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. They were focused. They were wanting to hear from the Lord. They were willing to do what the Lord said once they knew what he was saying. Well, God answered Jehoshaphat's prayer, and he said, Do not be afraid or dismayed. The battle is not yours, but God's. There was the command then to stand still, one of the hardest things for us to do. There was a command to stand still and just believe what God said. They responded then with worship and praise. Worship and praise are a huge part of prayer life. When they began to sing and praise the Lord, God defeated their enemies. He did what he said he would do. He always does. And so... I love this part, verse 30, I believe it is. And the fear of the Lord was on all the kingdoms of those countries. The people around them heard what God did for them. And what did they do? They feared the Lord. And there was that attitude of, you really might not want to mess with these people because when you do, you're going to have to mess with God and look what happened. They all wound up killing each other and being a pile of corpses. Why? Because God protected his people. He spoke to his people. They went into prayer, crying out to the Lord, confessing in humility, we can't do this. We don't know what to do. And they did what God said. And they praised him for who he is. And they remembered all of the things he had done in the past. They cast themselves on him. The fear of the Lord was on all the kingdoms of those countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. What if word got out in this world that God was going to fight for his church. What if that word got out? I remember a day when the world cared what the church thought. I remember I grew up in a small community, and I remember the attitude of being, ooh, um, you know, in the city, with the city council, with, with workers, and when they'd try to make a decision, ooh, the church won't like that. But you know what? Today, we've lost that presence. We've lost that testimony. God, I believe, is saying right here, this is how you get this back. This is how you get back to that place. Let's go on to another. Let's go to 2 Kings chapter 18. This is a fascinating chapter. Again, another one that we could spend lots of time in. I hope you'll go back and, and read these before the Lord. <clears throat> but 
suffice it to say that at the fervent prayer of the prophet Elijah, a drought had lasted for three and a half years. They had had no rain. The people knew that it was because of Elijah. They hated him uh, because he had dared do such things. And so this chapter then proceeds to a contest on Mount Carmel between Israel and 450 prophets of Baal. We say Baal. I think the correct pronunciation of that word is Baal, but I'm afraid if I say Baal, y'all don't know what I'm talking about. So I'm going to call him Baal, but we'll check that out. But these 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah, those were idols. And those prophets uh, sat and ate at the table of Queen Jezebel. She was a wicked queen. And let's just say they were in cahoots. Well, the prophets of Baal and Asherah were sponsored and supported by the government of Israel, God's people. Israel, God's chosen nation, was sponsoring and supporting prophets of idols. And they had a special relationship with this wicked queen Jezebel. And so Elijah challenged Israel. He said, look, you're going to have to make a decision about whom you're going to serve. Now, look down in verse 20. <clears throat> so Ahab sent a message among all the sons of Israel and brought the prophets together at Mount Carmel. Verse 21. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long are you going to hesitate between two opinions? Now, it's funny because the original language, that word hesitate, really means limp on. So he says, how long are you going to limp on between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people did not answer him a word. Now, Elijah then proposed a test between God and Baal. Verse 22, Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Now, let them give us two oxen and let them choose one ox for themselves and cut it up and place it on the wood but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other ox and lay it on the wood, and I will not put a fire under it. These are sacrifices. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered and said, that's a good idea. So, Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one ox for yourselves and prepare it first, for you are many, and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. So he goes on, and then they took the ox which was given them, and they prepared it, and they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered, and they limped 
in the original language, they limped about the altar which they had made. And it came about at noon that Elijah mocked them. I always kind of worried about him doing that, but he did. And said, call out with a loud voice for he is a God. Either he is occupied or he's gone aside. He's on a journey. Maybe he's asleep and you need to wake him up. So that's Elijah talking to the worshipers of Baal. So still, there was no answer. Now understand this. These prophets of Baal had had a devoted prayer life. They had a devoted prayer life to Baal, and they prayed long. They prayed with great passion. And so here they are praying for Baal to send fire because he's their God. But you know what? There was no answer. <clears throat> so the prophets of Baal worked harder. They did things to try to get Baal's attention. They cut themselves and they cried aloud. And listen, they were sincere and completely devoted to their religion. They were. They were committed. But there was no answer. Verse 30. Then Elijah said to the people, Come near me. Come here. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. They had torn down the altar of the Lord because they wanted Baal's altar to be there. And Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. So with the stones... He built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two measures of seed. And then he arranged the wood and he cut the oxen pieces and he laid it on the wood and he said, fill four pitchers with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And then he said, do it again. Do it a second time. They did it a second time. They drenched it. And then he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. They just drenched it. And water was flowing all around the altar of God. And he also filled the trench with water. And then it came about at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, O oh Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant and that I have done all these things at thy word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that thou art, O Lord, that thou art God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Verse 38. And the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. Now hear me. Elijah prayed a prayer of 63 words. And 
fire came down from heaven. So we need to know what did he pray and why did he pray that? And what did he believe? He was praying for the benefit of the people. And so on after that, if you continue to read, he prayed for rain. And guess what? After three and a half years of no rain, all of a sudden there was an abundance of rain. Elijah was a man of powerful prayer. There's another concept here that we'll talk about later in our study that he prayed through. He didn't just pray one time and stop. He kept on praying as they were walking through it. Concept of praying through. Don't quit. Well, let's go to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 2. King Nebuchadnezzar had had a troubling dream. He was so troubled by the dream that he couldn't sleep. So he called for the magicians and the sorcerers and the astrologers that served him in his court, and he demanded to know the interpretation of the dream. And if they didn't tell him, they would be executed. He was expecting them to tell him what the dream was and what the dream meant. And they were like, that's impossible. We can't do that. And Nebuchadnezzar was furious. And he commanded that they just all be destroyed. Well, the prophet Daniel was there and he said, "Um, uh, what's going on? what's, What's this all about? And so Daniel asked the king, and they told him what was happening, and Daniel said, just, just give me a little time. Just, just wait a minute. Well, Daniel got his friends together to pray. Look in Daniel chapter 2, verse 20. Well, actually, verse 17. Daniel went to his house and informed his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, about the matter in order that they might request compassion from God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his friends might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Now, see, they were calling the astrologers and the sorcerers, they were calling those people wise men. But the real wise men were Daniel and his friends, God's people. And so they prayed. Daniel got his friends to come to his house, and they prayed together. Look at verse 20. I'm sorry, 19. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. And then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. You see, how, you see how quick these people are to praise God, to bless God. When we bless God, we're telling him his worth. We're reminding him that we know what he's done. So they bless God. Verse 20, and Daniel answered and said, let the name of God be blessed forever and ever for wisdom and power belong to him. And it is he who changes the times and the epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. 
To thee, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for thou hast given me wisdom and power. Even now thou hast made known to me what we requested of thee, for thou hast made known to us the king's matter. Well, Daniel goes in and explains the dream to the king. He walks into King Nebuchadnezzar and he says, look, this is what you got going on. This is what God has said. Look in verse 46. So Daniel's told him the meaning of the dream and what the dream was. And look what happens. Verse 46. The king answered Daniel and said, Surely your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries since you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief perfect over all the wise men of Babylon. <coughs> Excuse me. And Daniel made request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the administration of the province of Babylon while Daniel was at the king's court. You remember those guys? They were the guys that were in the fiery furnace with Daniel. And now they are over the administration of the province of Babylon, serving the king of Babylon. Listen, God puts his people in right places. And that's what he's done right here. Quickly go to Psalm 64. Psalm 64. This concerns a crisis, and we won't take the time to read all of this, but you can read it later. <clears throat> but in Psalm 64, there's a crisis going on that made David cry out to God. And he begins with, Hear my voice, O God, in my complaint. Preserve my life from the dread of, my, of the enemy. Hide me from the secret counsel of evildoers, from the tumult of those who do iniquity, who have sharpened their tongue like a sword. They aimed bitter speech as their arrow to shoot from concealment at the blameless. Suddenly they shoot at him. They do not fear. They hold fast to themselves an evil purpose. They talk of laying snares secretly. They say, what can we do to them? And they devise injustices saying, we're ready with a well-conceived plot for the inward thought in the heart of a man are deep. Verse 7. I got to read the whole thing. But God will shoot at them with an arrow. Suddenly they will be wounded, so they will make him stumble. Their own tongue is against them. All who see them will shake the head. Then all men will fear. Fear what? Fear God and declare the work of God and will consider what he has done. The righteous man will be glad in the Lord and will take refuge in him. And all of the upright in heart will glory. Isaiah 64. Wish we had time to read it. Habakkuk. These were prayers for revival. John chapter 11. Let's go there as we bring this to a close. <clears throat> In John chapter 11, Lazarus had died. 
Jesus genuinely loved Lazarus and, he, and his, sister, his two sisters, Mary and Martha. And Lazarus had been sick and Jesus was out ministering and they had wanted Jesus to come and heal Lazarus, but he didn't. And Lazarus died. And when Jesus finally got there, of course, Martha and Mary were a little bit, hmm, if you had come sooner, Lazarus would not have died. And so, in summary, Jesus spoke to Martha when he got there. He said, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. That's who I am. And so then you find him going to Lazarus' tomb. And there's record here that when they went to the tomb, lots of Jews were there. They were weeping. Um, everybody was crying. And so Jesus goes to the tomb and on down toward, uh, getting toward the end of the chapter, when they got to the tomb, Jesus wept. And the Jews were saying, oh, look at how Jesus loved Lazarus. And then Jesus said, move that stone. Open the grave. And they were like, do what? Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he has been dead four days. Move the stone. Move the stone. Verse 41, they removed the stone and Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed. What did he say? Father, I thank thee that thou heardest me. And I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people standing by, I said it, that they may believe that thou didst send me. Let's do this so that they will know that you are you and you have sent me. And when he had said these things, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus, who had died, came forth. He was bound in grave clothes, so he was coming out like this. Bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, get that stuff off of him. Unbind him and let him go. Jesus prayed. One of the characteristics of the life of Jesus was his prayer life. Now, we've read some powerful prayers here. Let me ask us a question. Ask us a question. On a scale of 1 to 10, how does our prayer power rank? And if you're with me down there about one, two, what do I need to do to get to 10? We are God's people. He says in the New Testament, you will be able to do greater things than they did. Why aren't we doing it? And so 
Are we ready and able to experience the power of God? And are we willing to do what we need to do to get to that place? That's the question. These prayers, all of these that we've read today, these prayers were prayed by people who knew God. Step number one. And they were people who were honest with God. Like Jehoshaphat saying, I don't know what to do. Be honest with God. The next question is, what conditions must be met to be in intimacy with the Father and to be powerful in prayer? And those are things we're going to be looking at for the next few weeks, but let me give you a peek around the corner. First, I need to know God's instruction and design for prayer. I need to know what he's looking for. I need to know what God says it takes for prayers to be heard and answered. Number two, I need to pray. We learn to pray by praying. Number three, we realize that it is the life that prays. It's not so much a matter of whether I am physically prostrate before the Lord or on my knees or sitting in a chair. The thing that counts is what is the posture of my heart. That's the key to powerful prayer, the posture of my heart. Number four, we've got to be willing to persevere in prayer, to pray through, that it's something we're involved in all the way to the end. Number five, we've got to deal with sin. Personally, in our own lives, we've got to deal with sin. Number six, We've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? It means to be controlled by Him because the Holy Spirit is the one that's going to tell us what to pray. So we got to be in tune. We've got to be controlled by Him so that that can happen. Number seven, I'm going to base my prayers in the Word of God. I can get some of these prayers out and pray them back to God, putting in my name or my city's name or my people's name or my country's name. I can pray these prayers back to God, and we know God already likes them because he put them in here. And then number eight, I will pray in accordance with the will of God. What is it that you want? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to pray back to you? What do you want me to ask you to do in the lives of these people? And we'll be looking at all of those things in the next few sessions. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we have such need of you. And you have made available to us your very power. And I confess that we have neglected it. Perhaps we don't believe it or think that you wouldn't do it for us. So we're asking you, Lord, teach us to pray. And remove our laziness that keeps us from praying. We so much rather work than pray. We so much rather call a meeting or try to figure it out than pray. Forgive us, Lord. And help us to understand the priority of prayer and let us see you work in ways that glorify your name 
and identify us as yours in the days to come. I pray in the almighty name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.